Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Second Take Podcast. I just don't dig on no swine. And I'm Zancy Weber. I'm the host that doesn't look like a bitch, Sebastian. Wow. What? All right. Oh, today we are reviewing Pulp Fiction, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Laura Lovelace, John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Phil Lamar, Jack Whaley, the Steers, Bruce Willis, Ving Rains, Paul Calderon, Runner Gallagher, Rosanna Arquette, Eric Stoltz, Uma Thurman, Jeremy Patrick Hoban, and Michael Gilden. Okay, so Alex is dead. He was killed in a gangland shooting. Uh, so during an avalanche, during an avalanche in Sweden, people like to forget about that avalanche, but they shouldn't. I mean, it's only just happened; like no one's forgotten about it. Well, I just need to remind the people. Um, and it was such a heavy avalanche that he'll also be missing next week, assuming he lives to come back the week after. I just said he died. Well, so let's you know, get our stories straight. Said I just like a little bit of ambiguity in my stories. You know, I don't want to know the bad guy's bad, but I want to be maybe he is, maybe he is. But isn't. more importantly, this week we are getting started on our Quentin Tarantino retrospective, which will continue throughout the year. Hopefully, we'll be doing all of them. And we are starting with Pulp Fiction, arguably one of the most popular ones. I am excited. You seem excited, like genuinely really happy about this. Quentin Tarantino's movies are my favorite movies, full stop. They're pretty good. Uh, I, I haven't seen all of them. That's why I'm being reluctant to say they're all good. There's a couple missing from my view list. Which but, ones haven't you seen yet? Um, what do we got? What are we doing? So I've not seen Hateful Eight. It's sitting at home. I just haven't seen it. I haven't actually seen all of Inglorious Bastards. I've somehow seen, I think, every individual scene because my wife always watches it, but I've never sat down and watched all of it because I've never had to because I've all, I just see it on in different parts. It is a long movie. but You see this as a challenge for me. It's a great movie. Um, what else has he done that we're doing? Uh, Django. Seen that one? I like that one from Jackie memory. Brown. Haven't seen that one. Also own it though. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I've seen that one. Death Proof. That was the as car racing one. Yeah, the, racy the stunt one. ladies. Yeah, that's it's a really short one. It's like an hour and a half. It's a shortish yeah. one, yeah. Because that was that was the part of the Grindhouse release. Are we doing both or just Death just Proof? that one? Because oh, this this is Quentin Tarantino, not uh, Robert Rodriguez. But yes. you have a Planet Terror is really fun. Well, look, we, we'll put it on the list. Double you, feature. You we collaborated can, on this list. We I can double just... feature it this time. <laughs> okay, do you want to you watch both movies? Well, they're only an hour and a half each. That's we three watch... hours, Seb. You complain about movies that are over two hours all the time. Yeah, but Lord of the Rings are individually longer than <laughs> one of these films, both these films. All right, well, do you have any... any uh, production notes? Nope. Really fake? I'm don't? super unprepared. Like, Good. Like... 
as unprepared as the Trump administration. Ooh, topical. Is it topical? Is this vague enough to pass? I mean, it's always topical for the next three years, I guess, or at least for the past 12 months. Unless you voted for him, then I believe in you. I have some numbers for you. Sorry, let's let's play a guessing game. How many times do you think the word fuck was used in this movie? Okay, so having not read this, I know at the time of the release of the South Park movie, Mm -hmm. I think they used the most fucks in a movie at that time and I think it was 127. I might be wrong. It might just be the amount of swear words in that film. Mm. But I think it was Mm. fuck. No, it's more than that, is it? Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Conservatively, how long was Samuel Jackson on screen for the movie? (laughs) I reckon in a minute you could get three. So I maybe four. And it was a two-hour movie. Let's just say conservative. Seven hundred. <laughs> so four a minute. Yeah, <laughs> just flat. It's probably too much now. <laughs> Let's say uh, four hundred. I'm gonna put it out. Put you out of your misery. You overestimate a little bit. Two hundred and sixty-five times. Okay. Yeah. Wonder what the South Park one was. Who knows? Oh well. We'll we'll bring that up when we get to it. Yeah. Now, do you know how much this movie cost to make? I'm going to assume very little. Well, uh, yeah, it was a very small budget, $8 million. That's pretty good. Uh, how much of that do you think went to the actors? Because there were some big names in this, even at the time. Samuel L., Bruce Willis, Uma. Samuel Jackson wasn't huge before this film. Yeah, he, he was big he coming was, up. And, but you still got John Travolta, Harvey Keitel. Yeah, John Travolta after he took a bit of a dip. Because Travolta wasn't doing so okay, right well, before this Okay, uh, well, I'll give you a clue. Yeah. It's less than $8 million. Like they spent $3 million on the rest of the movie and $5 million on, on the actors. Really? Yeah. So all the actors community got, got like over half the budget. I hope all of it went to Kaitel. That's my preference. I, I, don't, I don't think it did. No, I don't think it did either, but I wish it did. How many days do you think Bruce Willis was on set for? Oh, he's like in like five scenes. Knowing oh, him. He was in a few more than five. I reckon, I reckon a, le- a fortnight. I reckon close, 14 close. 18 days. days. Damn it. So you only had 18 days on set. So, and what do you think was in the briefcase? The glowing briefcase. I've read theories on this one. Yeah, all right. Well, what do you think? What do you do? do theories that you agree with? Theories um, that you the theory don't I've agree with? read is that it, what was the name of their boss again? I always forget his Marcellus name. Wallace. Yeah. The theory I read was his soul or someone's soul. I think it was the boss's soul. But I don't know. That, I, I that is the theory because there is a, a like a legend that when the the devil takes your soul, he extracts it from the back of the neck. And Marcellus Wallace has a bandaid on the back of his head. Mm. Quentin Tarantino has gone on record saying that's not the case. Uh, Ving Rhames just cut himself shaving, yep. and that's why he's got a band aid. Um, another leading theory is that it is the uh, the golden Elvis suit. That is uh, that is featured in True Lies, which Quentin Tarantino wrote, didn't direct. Yeah. Um, or, uh, or that it is possibly was meant to be the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. 
because Reservoir Dogs is based around Diamond yeah. Heist and that Marcellus Wallace is getting that. I don't um, think it was the diamonds only because it was a it was a golden glow. Yeah, and like I mean, no, no, no. So yeah. it, that that's they thought that that was a boring answer, and so they didn't really know what they were going to put in it either. It was just literally a MacGuffin. Yeah. So it was Tarantino has gone on on record saying that it is whatever the audience wants it to be. It is just MacGuffin. Yep. Yeah. It's just the most desirable thing at the time, sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that's the thing. The what's his name? Is it Billy? No. The the diner robber. He looks at it and he knows what it is because he says, "Is that what I think it is?" To Sam Jackson. Yes. So. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the weird two, if you get to Tim Roth is pumpkin. Pumpkin. Uh. And Amanda Plummer is honey bunny. Those are their. No, she's Yolanda, isn't she? No, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. No, they keep screaming, you land to be cool at her, which is where the band got the name from. Yeah, maybe, but they're called Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. But they call her you. She, they, yes, oh, so but their names. Because oh. <laughs> Jackson screams it at her like a thousand times in also, that scene. Also, the, uh, in Reservoir Dogs, even though they have the name, they they names come out, they're still credited as Mr. Black, Mr. Pink, Mr. etc. Oh, that's et true, yeah. So Quentin just likes his, his nickname. Yeah. So calm down. Can you but just... weird if Pumpkin could identify a human soul. Yes. Although intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are a few characters written specifically for the actors that played them. Any guesses as to who they were? From I've read this as well. I don't want to like have inside a scoop here. Well, no, if you know, you know. Like, that's um, just, just figure it out. I, I'm pretty sure Jackson's was. I thought his was, but I thought, um, what's his name, Travolta. Uh no, neither no. of them actually were. Well, uh, Samuel Jackson's role was specifically, um, but it was almost given to. Someone else. Oh, okay. So it was. It wasn't just kind of like, yes, you are in the movie. Come for it, please. It was still auditioned, and was Jackson was auditioned. Harvey Keitel. One of them. Harvey Keitel was not auditioned for that. He was basically written specifically for the wolf. Good. Yeah. So good choice. <laughs> All right. So there's there's heaps of stuff on here, but that that's kind of the main main big stuff. Um, and and again, like this ties into a whole bunch of other Quentin Tarantino stuff we've already had, like the, the possibility of uh, Marcellus Wallace being involved in the Diamond Heist from Reservoir Dogs. Mm. And you do get like a mini preview of the Kill Bill story in, in Mia Wallace's... Uh, the pilot. Pilot yeah. that she was in. So, yeah. Well, shall we, shall we move on to our movie babies? We shall. What are your movie babies? I had... Oh, what two movies had sex to produce Pulp Fiction? I actually went for two movies this time around. Oh, wow. Well, to be extra shocking. Um, for the crime aspect, the inner city, I just went cut and dry, basic. I went, I went Goodfellas. All right. Because you get... Um, and there's not like, a lot of gangsters in this, but no, I see where you're going. More kind like, of underbelly. But also the kind of character you get with... Um, oh, gosh, what's his name now? I've just... I've completely forgotten the name of the guy from Goodfellas. The one that was also in Home Alone. I've just forgotten the actor's name. I... The main... Oh, um... Yeah. Yeah, it's gone. But just the kind of... We run a a film podcast. Yes, we do. (laughs) I will remember him later. And Rashomon for the stories being told and shifting around a bit. I mean, 
that was raw from different perspectives, but this is just still like the jumping around yeah. town, telling one story from different parts. So for kind of the visual style, I went Thelma and Louise because Thelma and Louise mm-hmm. is like a, a dusty, sweaty movie and a lot of the scenes in this are very sweaty. Joe Pesci, I just remembered. <laughs> Joe Pesci. Yes, Joe Sorry. Pesci. There you go. Uh, and also you've got that kind of like a lot of scenes in cars in this movie and, and yeah. dialogue-based. Uh, so I think that's very uh, reminiscent of Tarantino style. But then the storytelling, I think I, I go which was that one. a 90s movie. It's very similar. It's several uh, vignettes of stories that are tied together about um, drugs, basically. So a, a drug deal. If I was going to slip one more in, it would have been Dogma. Just Really? The dialogue. Every character is a snarky bitch. And that's not a, that's not a diss, guess, but every character I, I guess, talks I and guess talks. Kev, Kevin Smith really does want to be Tarantino. I, just, I think it's they're similar, but I think they're... The styles are different enough. Obviously, the film styles are very different, but I think dialogue-wise, Tarantino seems to have a point. Yeah, like that ta- dialogue is what Tarantino does best in the sense that his dialogue is all about uh, giving you the character's opinion. And mm. like because a character has opinion, you automatically know their character. So opinions are how we base our ideas of what other people are and what they think and what they do. Mm. And I think that's what Tarantino does best in like these diner scenes and these car scenes where people are talking about something that has nothing to do with the movies, whether it is like what McDonald's sells in France or like... it's. But the thing is, as weird as it feels for a film... It's kind of the stuff that happens in real life. Yeah. People don't just I'm I'm not walking to the shops with my wife talking about the plot of my day. Like yeah. we're just talking. And then plot will happen like when they were talking in the car and then John Travolta shoots the guy in the face. Not Marvin. I oh. shot Marvin in the face. Oh. <laughs> Which is pretty close to my favorite scene. It's but very, before we get to funny. that, shall we get to uh tweet nopsises? Yes. Oh, I have uh, uh, two hitmen, a boxer, the wife of a gangster, and two bandits vie to, oh God, I can't remember my writing, vie to prove who is the baddest motherfucker in the city. <laughs> always, it's always my writing that tricks me up. A small community of underground gangsters in LA have hilarious hijinks. The end. <laughs> Some people die. You know, I first saw this as a Simpsons episode. <laughs> I, I would not be surprised. You're very young. Yeah, so youthful, all the youth. All right, we'll jump into it then. The good? The good. Well, I can go on for hours, so tell me what you liked about it. Well, every character is a snarky bitch. Yep. I dialogue like, plus. Like yep. You're never going to get bad dialogue in a Tarantino movie. Um, I like that. The characters weren't too self-serious. They live in a very dangerous world, but... They never really impress impress it upon you. Like the only thing was really, oh God, Marvin's been shot. There's blood everywhere. We need to fix it up before the cops get here. But I never get a massive sense. I mean, sorry, with Bruce Willis's story, when he gets captured Mm. with him and Marcel, they have very the dangerous story. But I never once fear for any of these characters because they're so jokey around it all. (laughs) But that's not a. This isn't a bad thing. It's just a almost like a cartoonish world that they're living in, but they don't exaggerate everything physically, yeah. just emotionally. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's set 
it's such a real setting that is then just all of a sudden twisted into this escalated uh, heightened world of violence and uh, and like risky sex and yeah danger. Uh, so uh, apart from that, I mean, I could go through scene by scene if it might not. Well, what was your favorite scene? What what, what scenes oh. did you like? Because there are some very funny scenes in this, like there particularly. Are. Uh, on my rewatch, where Bruce Willis is picking his weapon, oh. I don't. I don't know if that's meant to be funny, but I found that hilarious because there's no dialogue. It's just him acting, where he's going around this this pawn shop, picking up things that he could kill people with, and mm. kind of weighing up the pros and cons of like how effective will this be, plus how much pain will it cause, plus how badass will I look killing people with it. <laughs> Watching it again as well, like, because we know he's going to grab the katana at the yeah. very end. He's, like, picking up, you know, the bat and, I'm like, put it down. I love the chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> but then also the Marvin scene where they're just talking and, he, and Travolta just twists around very casually resting the gun on his chair to talk to Marvin, ask his opinion, and then all of a sudden just, like, blood everywhere. Yep. Oh. <laughs> um, my favourite scene is the clean-up of Marvin's body. Yeah. Uh, back at uh, whatever Tarantino's character's house was. Um, I really like that. The wolf's my favorite character. I don't. It doesn't even do that much, but I just like his presence. Yeah, and just a very calm, collected character. He's the kind of character that you would get in, say, a Goodfellas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he played really well with everyone else. And just having these two, you know, badass characters that we've been following for the entire movie almost just become instantly so submissive because the real gangster was there, and yeah. it was just a really nice dynamic. And also, just the little joke of. Don't tell me how good my coffee is. I fucking know how good it is. Yeah. I bought it, and then when the you know the wolf comes in, he gives him the, like it's a good coffee nod. It's like really polite to him and everything. Yeah. Just the <laughs> yeah, I just appreciated that because it was like here's the hitmen for the gangsters, and then here's the gangsters, yeah. and there's like such a weird difference there. Well, yeah, it's also kind of like the two different gangster worlds where you've got Marcellus Wallace and his hitmen, and then you've got like this other professional yep. <laughs> setup where you just kind of like just touched on. Uh, what did you, because one of the most quoted scenes in this movie is the Christopher Walken scene. I'm not a Christopher Walken fan. But he's so Christopher Walken. That's the problem. Movie. I don't like him Christopher Walken in a, like, ah. Oh. I think he was I, fine. Honestly, but, I think this scene really informs what the Christopher Walken stereotype is because yeah. he has those speech mannerisms and the delivery. I agree that now when you watch back, it does get a little grating because it's Christopher Walken being like Christopher Walken squared. Well, it's, it's the um, Will Smith complaint we had. Will Smith yeah. was great in the 90s. I don't mind him now, but nothing has fucking changed. Yeah. Like it's if you, yeah, you get what you got the entire <laughs> way through. But um, also we had another cameo in Steve Buscemi. Oh, but Steve Buscemi's great. Yeah, no. Did did you spot him? Oh, which one? Was he in the... Oh, wait. I did because I yelled at Jess when he was on screen. <laughs> he was Buddy Holly in the, in, the, in the diner scene. In the diner scene? Yeah. I thought I yelled at him earlier. He was just a weasel-looking fellow earlier in the film. Buscemi's always welcome, though. <laughs> he is always welcome. Um, uh, what else was there? So, um, in the... Good stuff. Like it's, it's, there is a lot. It's just, but I'm saying uh, I mean, not, Samuel L. Jackson's monologues, which are <laughs> great in this film. But once again, like the walking thing. Like I, I like them. 
but you get this everywhere for him now. You have to give the movie some credit. Oh, I am. For, like, it's fun. Yeah, because th- this is what? It was, is 94. Yeah. It's before Samuel L. Jackson was Samuel L. Jackson. And now Samuel L. Jackson has, like, latched on to this. Do you remember when we reviewed Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? I do. The, the Steve Martin fuck scene where he screams at the attendant. Yes. That works for me so well because it's like candy. It's not an everyday food. You get it once in a while. <laughs> and it's, you never see Steve Martin just go off his rocker at someone. This was candy when it came out, but now it is just food. This is what Samuel <laughs> Jackson does. And it's, it's good. Hey, we all need food to live, but it's lost its, it's not as exciting for me. It's still, yeah. a, it's still very well done. It's an exciting scene, but it's lost that mystique to it. So how did you feel about My Girl Luma? Because Mia is a problematic character at the best Which of Which one is, sorry? Mia. Ma- oh. Mia, Wa- Mia Wallace. Oh, Uma. Uma. I, th- I said my girl Uma. Did you yeah, say that? my girl Uma. Oh, you did say that. She's one of my favorite actresses. This is one of my favorite performances of hers. Yeah, it is. And I'm going to say, as a, as the worst kind of male, I think it's also her most attractive performance. I don't think she's and a very good looking woman, but she is in this super film. super attractive. She's, yeah. she's not like sexualized in a way that definitely uh, Butcher's wife is. What is her name? Um, is this Willis? Willis's uh They had a uh, cute relationship. They did, but she's definitely sexualized yes, in this definitely. movie. Yeah. Uh whereas Mia really isn't. Like and I think that's a very conscious choice because she's Marcellus's wife. Yep. Um But this is my favorite performance from her period. Oh yeah. And yeah, I mean we'll get to Kill Bill. I don't mind her in that, but I really prefer her in this. Well, she's a character in this. In Kill Bill, she's an archetype. Yeah. So it's it's really the people that she's killing that are the characters, yeah. and she's just kind of the the mode that the movie travels on. Uh, uh, but we'll we we will get to that because that is my favorite movie of all time. Which one? Kill Bill. Just the first one. One and two. I think I think they are inextricable, okay. and I don't hate on two like some people who liked one did at the time. Are I they still talking about doing three, or is that dead now? No, they, there was never. They were never talking about doing. I three. thought he was. The the studio was, but Quentin Tarantino never wanted to do three. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, because Bill's dead. Uh, kill Bill three zombie Bill. <laughs> kill Bill's brother. Oh no. <laughs> um, zombie Bill. Ugh. Other good things I really liked when Bruce Willis saw Marcel Wallace in the street and was like, fuck it, and went to run him <laughs> over. Like, just a couple of little instincts that would be ignored in other movies. Like, normally they'd see someone like, fuck it, I'm getting out of here. And you're just like, no, nah, this is happening. Yeah. Um, the gimp scene, though. It's an uncomfortable scene, but it's, it's great because it's handled so in such... It's not... It's never gratuitous. It's always kind of like... Oh, yeah. I don't want to be here. <laughs> but it's so weird that that, it, that scene even happened. Like, yeah. the, which is why it's fine. It's kind of funny, you know. Like of all the places that they brought their fight into, it was this place. But it's so weird. It is, but it is um, that sort of setup was definitely a big part of like. Not the movie Pulp Fiction, but actual Pulp Fiction because they're based on comics and stories. Like that is the sort of environment that a story would be set in this really, really niche subculture where it's kind of where it is what? It's a pawn shop owner, uh, a cop and their gimp in the in the basement of a pawn shop. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange. 
Um, I really liked the bar that um, Travolta and Uma uh, went yeah, to. Yeah. That was a fun place. I, it was really interesting because you don't get as many movies about LA as you get about New York. And I think mm. it's a really interesting movie about LA, even heightened as it is, because you, you go from the the driving where it's just kind of like desert and hot and sweaty to this super commercial uh fame driven environment where they yeah where they they talk about like what it means to be in LA fame and whatever. All right, is there any more good you want to cover or do you want to move on? <sighs> there are there are a lot of good things. No, no, there, there really are. I just I mean I I'll just be I'll just be gushing. So let's talk about what you hate about it. Um, and I'll argue with you about that. Honestly, for me, there wasn't much that I didn't like. like I mean, Christopher Walken, he, he never does it for me. So yeah. it's, that's, you know, but that's not this movie's fault. That, I, I mean, mean, I guess the casting director's fault, but that's yeah. not this movie's fault. But he's a cameo, so it's not yeah. a... Uh, like, the, the most problematic main character for me is Butch. And I don't think it's to do with... Uh, with not with Willis's performance, I think it's just the way he's written and the relationship with his wife. Yeah, is like I just don't feel like that is interesting. Mm. Whereas with Marcellus and Mia, they never you never see them together, but they have such an impact on each other's life. Whereas I feel like his wife was just there to serve his character. Yeah. Uh, and also because the other pair that you get are Pumpkin and Honey Bunny and they're so on the same wavelength that the relationship between Bruce Willis and his wife seems weak yep. in comparison. So I think that that is kind of the the weak point of the movie for me and I can only blame uh, the, the writing of Butch or the writing of his wife but I yep. think Butch's, Butch's story with his wife is the weakest part. He had some fun lines, I will say, in his defense. Like, to be entertaining, like, I had to crash that car, honey. Like, where is it? Sort of thing. Like, there was some kind of clever bits in there. Well, but- it was, yeah, it was really interesting because they were trying to, they were trying to get that American ideal, like, where they're, they're a nuclear family, like, but they're like, <laughs> These underground, he what? He's an underground boxer. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it, it's really yeah. weird uh, juxtaposition of what they were going for. And I think that's. I don't have a problem with his character and his other stories away from his wife, but that relationship is really like a hollow part of the movie. For me. But you know, there wasn't much that I didn't like in this film. Um, I the way that it's broken up in particular as well. Okay, all Tarantino's movies go for a pretty long runtime. But the way that this one's broken up because you feel like you're moving from small story to small story to small story, yeah. really it makes you feel like an hour and a half. Like it really shortens the, the feel of the runtime, which is a great thing. So good use of time. Well, we're talking about bad at the moment. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like a normal <laughs> negative for me is a positive in this kind. Um, well, that's the thing. Like when people say, when I tell people that Quentin Tarantino's Oeuvre, his nine movies are all in my top ten. The next question out of their mouth is, "What is your least favorite Tarantino movie?" If they're all in your top ten, mm. and I will always say Pulp Fiction. Your least favorite? My least favorite. Mm. Um, and it's still in my top ten, but when compared to the rest of his other work, Pulp Fiction just it, it might be it might be the budget, it might be the people involved. It just doesn't seem as as intricate 
as the rest of his stories seem. Yeah. Um, and that is that's I I, I don't want to sound like that's a really bad thing because I think that lack of intricacy, that kind of slap dash. Um, really kind of adds to the atmosphere of these these stories and how they fit together. Yeah. But I think as because in Inglorious Bastards he does a pretty similar thing where you get the the opening scene with an introduction of one character, then you get the soldiers, then you have this uh, film theatre story and they're kind of three different stories happening at once that culminate at the end. I think that is very much a very very thought out process whereas this was kind of like okay so this character goes from this point to this point and then the next story we will see the character here and it's not so much mm. the stories don't drive each other is what i'm saying well let's look at the jump that he made as a director because he went I, th- I believe reservoir dogs was his first film and this is Correct, yeah. his second or third i believe film? it's second so he went from a story that's pretty much told in one building in yes. one room to the story that spans across the city with multiple characters that are crossing paths that may or may not see each other. Like, so he made, as a director, a huge jump in what he was asking himself to do. So while it's not as well put together as, say, Inglorious Bastards in that regard, I think, I mean, I don't think you're criticising him either, but he did very well considering just the jump in experience that was required yeah. between steps. Oh, I'm, absolutely. Like, I'm... That's the harshest criticism that I can give to this movie (laughs) is that as his other movies go, this one seems less intricately woven. So I still really enjoy it and while it's not the first Tarantino that I'll go to put on, when I put it on I'm like, yeah, I'm really happy I made this choice. I just wish there was a more polished version of it. Like if he were to remake it, like he were to remake it, like. Oh, like with I, w- I would, I would be interested in seeing what he would cut and what he would, what add. would happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be a bit more polished, but I think it would, it would lose a fair bit of the charm. I think he'd be Inglourious out Passes there, isn't as charming as this movie. But is. I thought, for example, Django, which is the because I haven't seen uh, Hateful Eight, but for me, Django, yes, very yeah. charming. And that's yeah. obviously the, I mean, apart from Hateful Eight, the closest film he's recently made. Yes. So, yeah. I don't know, it's doable. But also these, these are films that follow, well, I mean, Inglourious Passes, Django follows one key character around. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, so, we have, so just to clear the, clear the air for those who are fact-checking us, uh, Reservoir Dogs was his first, followed by Pulp Fiction, followed by Jackie Brown, then Kill Bill 1 and 2. I thought he produced Jackie Brown. Does he produce? Maybe no, no. So Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown, where am I? I'm looking at his thing. So he he directed, wrote and acted in Jackie Brown. Now, so he has directed other movies, but Quentin Tarantino movies, his nine movies are the ones that he's written and directed. Yep. Um, so those are the one; those are the nine that are on my list because he he's also directed my best friend's birthday and uh, uh, four rooms and other other movies. But the ones that I latch onto are the ones that he's written and directed. Okay, are we moving on to verdicts? Are we? Are we? Sam? I only ask because Alex has submitted me his verdict in writing, so I need to. Yeah, read well, it. let's let's start with Alex, so we can cut it to shreds because he's a terrible person, and I I'm just assuming. Um, oh. <laughs> this is him, not me. 
What's we'll do it in an I, Alex voice. I don't. I actually told him I do it in an accent. I don't have one for him. Just do it. My, Give it to me. I'll read it in an accent. Okay. Well, there you are. It's the one that says Pulp Fiction, shockingly. Yeah, I'm Alex. And plenty of time in the movie to win me over. However, left me looking constantly at how long there was left. Good scenes were Jackson's Ezekiel 2517 bits or whatever the passage is. Lee's favorite was Bruce Willis on. Okay, I agree with you on there. That, that's good. That's good. That's good note, Alex. Well done. Um, I would only recommend if I was forced. Who's forcing you to recommend this I, movie? I feel like if we were, if we were sitting at the table with us today, that would be what would happen. Yeah. He would have recommended had he physically been in the room with us. <laughs> because I gushed and gushed and gushed. He's like, yeah, no, you're making good points, yeah. Zane. I will recommend yeah. this movie. So I think this is one of the ones that he was like uh, down the line for him that he needed to be pushed over the edge into. <laughs> so technically it's a, it's neither, but because we're forcing him, it's a recommend from Alex. <laughs> right. <laughs> what about you, Sam? I mean, we know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's definitely recommend. Like it is, for what we were saying just before, I don't think this film has aged badly at all. Like, it, honestly, because it doesn't really do much cinematically in, mm. a, in a visual sense that it would look worse for wear over time, which is a blessing for this kind of story. The fact that it's so driven by dialogue also is just such a great thing for a film that's now, what, 20-odd years old? Yeah, over, yeah. 23. Mate, oh, it's. I'm still older than this film. It's okay. <laughs> yes, you, um, were, you were born before 94. It's true, I was. Um, but, you know, it's great. It's not one I can easily just throw on, though. Like, it's... Even though it's such a light movie, it's not one that I can just be like, what should I watch? Let me get my discs out. because like, of the violence, right? I don't mind the violence in this one. It's actually... This is one of the least violent ones because there's only a couple of scenes in it. Like, when you go to, like, Django War yeah. and Glorious Bastards, like, those are really, really violent. So it's not even that, but I just... I, I could watch this, like, once every couple of years, maybe... But I haven't watched this for like the last five and I haven't had a drive to. But whenever I do watch it, mm. I do enjoy it. It just isn't a – it isn't candy. Or it is candy. I forget how my metaphor went earlier. Uh, I don't think it worked then either. But, you know, we, we can live in hope. Mm. I, I recommend this movie. For me, in Tarantino's oeuvre, this is a good like early afternoon movie. Like you've had lunch, you're just going to watch a movie in the afternoon – this is it. Like, it's, it's, I, even though it kind of looks like it should be a nighttime movie, I think it's, it's definitely one of his easiest movies to digest and you don't have to pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, but if you pay attention to it, there's a lot there to get out of it. Um, also, the dialogue is just, it's Tarantino. Um, this is Tarantino at his best. In movies like The Hateful Eight, all of his dialogue is very uh, is really there for a reason. In Pulp Fiction, you get the feeling that the, these are conversations that Tarantino's had that he has then accumulated into these characters and then put them in movies. Uh, so that's it's a very different style of writing, but also something that is really fun to watch and listen to. Uh, so I guess we move on to a second take, yes. and I'm going to do a sequel oh hey i'll I'll do a spin-off yeah (laughs) what do i want you to do to it though what do i want you to do to it my spin-off is going to be about pumpkin and honey bunny oh and it's going to be a prequel 
prequel spinoff is how they got into the. So it has to include a sick puppy. Aww. There wasn't enough dogs in this film. Okay. Thelma and Louise meets Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie being my dog, meets Bonnie? Meets Fight Club, yes. Oh, good. Uh, they have two dogs called Bonnie and Clyde and they initially snap because uh, that Bonnie gets sick and has to go to the vet and the vet doesn't ask them before he puts her down. And so they snap and they kill the vet and then they start panicking. This seems like a reasonable thing that could occur in my life if that would have happened to me. Right, yep. right. So they're, they're, they're not just bad people. They just care too much. They care too much about their, their, their dogs. And so in true Tarantino fashion, I think they panic and they go and they buy, they buy a cheap car and they leave town. They pack up everything and then they just go on a... Uh, picking up like a hitchhiker in like Brad Pitt-esque and then that kind of like there's weird sexual tension that they kind of like it ends when uh, the when, when Honey Bunny who has the most sexual tension with him actually just kills him because he tries to go too far or something and then I think must, the ties into Marcellus Wallace when they steal a car that has a shipment from him in it, and so they then the movie ends when they end up just resolving that by handing the car back and paying off whoever is there to pick it up to let them live, and then they go and they have breakfast at the diner. Yep, sounds good. Yeah. Alrighty, is that our show? Is that did we show properly? That's it. That's that's how the podcast works. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay, thank you for listening, everyone. So, if you want to get yeah. in contact with us, there are a number of ways to do it. You can go to our website, which is secondtakepodcast.com. or you can email us because we have one of those things. We are secondtakepodcast at gmail dot com, and always we've got Facebook. You know, Facebook slash Second Take. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. yeah, sure, that yeah. one. Or Second Take Podcast, you, you find it. Yeah. And Twitter, at Second Take TNC. Or we, we have an Instagram, funnily enough. Sometimes we post video. No, well, actually, we have no videos. No videos of some pictures, yet. though, that are funny. <laughs> there was, there was a, quite a smart tweed jacket on there the other day. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, I got bored. Um, <laughs> really? Also, um, if you guys want to support the show, we also have a link to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash second take. Um, this is a, a, a big variety of ways that you guys can give to us. It starts as little as $1 per month, which is 12 bucks a year. And it's pretty, pretty low and pretty simple. But we've also got sort of a group goal going at the moment there. So once we hit our first target, which is collectively uh, $50 a month, we're going to release uh, all of our reviews of the Monty Python film series. Uh, and then yes. the idea is ongoing from there for every little milestone we hit, we're going to do extra series for everyone. So sort of a... So please go on and sponsor us so that we can review the Monty Pythons because I can't watch them until then. It's true. We're not it's, allowed to watch any yeah. movies unless we're reviewing them. <laughs> and and yeah, if you want to have a listen to any of the other podcasts that any of us are on, um, go to that's not kind of productions.com, which is the mothership for all of the other po- all of our other podcasts. Yeah. yeah. In one of them, I'm a wizard. It's pretty good. Yeah. And I get to torture that wizard. It's even better. <sighs> and maybe just one day there'll be solo podcasts that we do. That solo you can find podcasts? There. Yeah. Where we just talk 
at ourselves. Yeah. Yep. The Good. best kind of Fun. podcast. No interruptions. Right? Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> none of, none of this over talking of each other. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to think fans will literally pause just to be like, that's that's not true. <laughs> that's not how that works. <laughs> just because it's you in the room by yourself, Sam, doesn't mean you're incorrect. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> Good. Good. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much for listening. And go do all the things on social media. Hooray. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.